A copy of God's Word. Uh, we're going to continue our study in the book of Romans. Um, we're going to be in Romans again, Romans chapter 3 here today. That's how I felt about Romans this moment, this, this week. Ah, I felt about it. I felt that this week when I was studying it in the text. As I was working through the text, it was a battle back and forth. But uh, Romans chapter 3, looking at verse 9. Romans chapter 3, verse 9. It tells us in God's word, starting at verse 9. What then? Are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. For we have already charged that all, both Jew and Greek, are under sin. As it is written, no, none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside together. They have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throats is an open grave. They use their tongue to deceive. The venom of ass is under their lips. Their mouth is full of court curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood, and their paths are ruin and misery. In the way of peace they have not known, there is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by works of the law, no, one, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. I want you guys to pray with me at this time. Our Father God in heaven, Lord, we thank you, Lord, for, again, this time in worship, Lord, we get to be able to hear your word to be proclaimed. So, Lord, we ask you, Lord, to give us, Lord, the ears to listen to your word. Also, Lord, give me, Lord, the power, Lord, to preach your word faithfully, that if it's not in your word or deviate from your truth, remove it from my mind, my heart, and my lips. Let me proclaim your truth, that your saints in here, Lord, are edified and encouraged this morning, and that your name is glorified this morning. So, Lord, we ask you, Lord, to bless the worship at this time. And help me, Lord, in my weakness. I need your strength. I need your help. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. I remember a couple of months ago, uh, I started off the sermon with... Uh, the movie Friday. And after the sermon, my boy Zoe pulled me to the side like, bro, you need to go watch this movie again. I think I got the movie right. So, hey, I'm going to take another stab at Friday again. And Zoe, hey, let me know if I get it right this time. Now, I watched it several times growing up, right? So, the movie Friday, you had this guy named Craig, right? Craig worked at a postal delivery service. And Craig get fired from his job. Well, a guy named Smokey, which is Craig's friend. Smokey the one that smokes weed. Well, he got weed and he smoked weed. He kind of sell a little weed for the dope boy named Big. Big Worm. Big Worm. Big Worm. So what happened though in the story, listen, listen to this. What happened in the story, in this movie is that, so Smokey has this weed. Day Day is fired from a job. Well, they smoke the weed that belonged to somebody else. And all of a sudden, Big Worm won his money. And Smokey and Day Day, I mean, Smokey and Craig cannot pay the debt back. So throughout this movie, they're trying to figure out a way how they can borrow money to get the money back to pay to pay Big Worm. End of the story. Um, end of the story here is that they finally able to, what's the end of it? Craig beat up Debo with a brick. He threw a brick and hit him, knocked him out and everything, so they didn't have to worry about Debo anymore in this. And that's it, right? No, Smokey stole the money out of, uh, out of, out of, out of uh, Debo's pocket, took anybody to pay his debt, 
and everything was good. Did I do it good that time? No. I was close to it. But stick to it. Stick with me on this. The purpose of it is not about Friday and Romans. The purpose of we describing Romans, I mean, describing Friday, it points us to a storyline. Someone owed a debt and someone had to pay a debt. Well, in Romans, what's the storyline? How do we get to Romans chapter 3, verses 9 through 20? What is happening in this text? That's what I want you guys to kind of think through it here. What is happening in this Roman text? We always quote this scripture, no one is righteous, no not one, y'all, y'all sinners. We always know that verse, right? But what's the context? Why did Paul say that? It's the reason why he mentioned these certain scriptures. And what he's going to get at today? He's going to get at all our understanding. And so all of this flows from we have an Old Testament in the Bible, but we have a, a New Testament in the Bible. The Old Testament deals with the law, how the whole world is understand. The whole world is in bondage to the law. The whole world is in bondage to sin. And the New Testament now comes in now. It talks about now people are under grace. Under law and under sin in the Old Testament. But now they're, excuse me, under this grace in this New Testament. And Paul is reminding this Roman church that you are under grace. You are under Christ. So now live in unity with each other. So family, this morning, let us be encouraged as we hear how Paul underlines what does it mean to be under sin. And by being under sin, sin divides the church. Sin brings disunity in the church. Sins devour one another. But for those who are under grace, they don't forget what Christ has done for them. It unifies the church. Because the church now are people are made up of people that are serving Jesus Instead of serving themselves, the church is not about them getting everybody to see what they're doing. It's about everybody in the church seeing what Jesus is doing through the body of Christ. So Paul is encouraging them in this. And so you might not see that already in Romans chapter 2, chapter 1 and 2 and 3. But Paul wanted them to first understand that was that you were under sin. And you can get yourself out of sin. That's why Jesus had to come. To give grace to bring you out of sin. If Jesus didn't come, we'll still be in sin. But Jesus came so we won't be under sin, but we can be under grace. I kind of gave you guys, like I gave you guys the moment Friday. I think I did a good job again. But the same thing I'm doing here is that I gave you guys kind of a overview, a Wikipedia overview type deal. Real quick of what's happening here. But now let's go a little bit deeper on what does it mean to be under sin. We're going to do it at three points today. The Jews have an advantage but are under sin with the Gentiles. That's going to be verse 9. Point 2. What does it mean by all are under sin? What does that even mean again? Verses 10 through 18. And we're going to end off this morning with verses... 19 and 20 with point number three. The law show that all are under sin. And if I can name this message is no need for boasting. All are under sin. No need for boasting. All are under sin. Let's jump in point number one. The Jews have an advantage, but are all but are all but are under sin with Gentiles. This question right here in verse 9, what then, is a question that kind of deviates back from verse 1. Open your Bible, look at verse 1 in chapter 3. The question he asked already out the gate. What advantage has the Jew? You remember the Roman church would consist of all Gentiles. No. The Roman church would consist of Gentiles and Jews. It were two ethnic groups in this, uh, in this church. You had the Jewish people in the church. You had the Gentile people in the church. And so Paul, in verses 1 through 8, he has to describe to the Jews, he's talking to the Jews. He tells the Jews the advantage of them being in the church, advantage of them being Jews. And the advantage we learned was they received the oracles of God. The Jews received the word of God. 
How do we know? You guys remember the Old Testament with the guy Moses? He got the law and he gave it to the people. You know, also, we got a guy named uh, Joshua. We got the prophets in the Old Testament, Nathaniel. We have Samuel. We have Joel. We have all these different people in the Old Testament who are prophets, and they was able to write down God's word, and they was able to give it to the rest of the Jewish people, not the Gentiles. So the Jews had God's word, and the Gentiles didn't. So the Gentiles didn't get the privilege of having God's word like the Jews. So it is the advantage of being a Jew. The advantage is that y'all got God's word and the Gentiles didn't. Y'all got, got the chance to understand the promise that a Messiah is coming. That one day Jesus is going to come and die for his people. The Gentiles didn't get that. The Jews also got the law. What does it mean the Ten Commandments? So the Jews had God's special word given to them. So they had the advantage of having these things. So it's an advantage about being a Jew. It's an advantage. Everybody say advantage. It's an advantage about being a Jew because they receive God's word. I think today, today, when you hear about the black Hebrew Israelites or the Israelite groups, the Hebrew Israelite groups, they don't want to be called as black Hebrew Israelites. A lot of their groups is pretty much made upon, built upon ethnicity. They are proud upon their ethnicity. They are saying that they have this certain pigmentation, and so they are part of this group of Judah. Well, this is not what Paul is actually encouraging to be a proud of a Jew of. Paul is actually encouraging them to be a proud of a Jew because you receive God's word, not because of what color you are. So we know the group now that promotes this, they already got it wrong because to be a Jew, to be a side is right here, they receive the oracles of God. They receive God's word. It's not about ethnicity. So the Jews receive God's word, the whole of God's word. And not only that we learned last week, they already at the gate got, got a chance to understand what does it mean to be under sin or to be in sin. We get a story of David. How David sinned against with Bathsheba. And so that was a picture of them sinning. And so what did they get this from is that the law, the law was given to the Jews, and David knew that he broke the law, he knew he sinned against God. And all throughout the Old Testament, it talks about sin. How did the Jews get this? Because they received God's word. But now, so we see in verse 9 is a different question than verse 1. So we know that the Jews is the advantage of being a Jew. But now this question today is a little bit different. Now it's asking if the Jews are better off than the Gentiles since they got God's word. So are we as Jews better than the Gentiles then? We got God's word first, so we must be better than the Gentiles. That's what the question is getting at. And how did Paul respond in verse 9? No. You're not better than the Gentiles. Look in the rest of verse 9. He explains to them that, yes, you have a vantage, but you're not better. No, not all. No, not at all, he says right here. He uses double negative. No, not all. But we have already charged that all, both Jew and Greeks, are under sin. The end of verse 9 helps us see that this session in Romans now is, it consists of Jew and Greek. That all are charged to be under sin. So you ask the question now, for the Jews to be raised up in pride. For the Jews to be raised up in pride. Right. Can you get, right, can you get some assistance? For the Jews to be raised up in pride that now we see that, yes, you have an advantage of receiving God's word, but you're not better than the Gentiles. This hum is the Jews, isn't it? This hum is the Jews. This hum is the Jews now that for Jews boasting of themselves, 
that say that we have an advantage and y'all Gentiles don't have this advantage. We're better than you. Paul lets them know that you're not better than them since you had an advantage. Think about it in basketball right now. To have an advantage would be somebody like Shaquille O'Neal. Shaquille O'Neal is over seven foot tall. But Steph Curry is only above a little bit a couple inches of, over six feet. It seemed like in a way of that Shaquille O'Neal have an advantage so he's better. Is that really the case? That's really not the case. The reason why that is because now is that Steph Curry can do some things that Shaq cannot do. Different don't mean deficient. Even though they had an advantage of having a law, that doesn't mean they was better. Different do not mean deficient. And so Paul lets them know right here, though, is that you have an advantage, but you're not better than the Gentiles. So Paul desired that the Roman church be a faithful group of believers. But they can't be that if they've forgotten the bad news. Because the Jews are already trying to say that, okay, we have an advantage. So bad news and sin is not the main issue. And Paul brings it back again to humble them down as though is that you have an advantage, but guess what? You're still under sin. We're going to see this now in point two. What does it mean by all are under sin? The end of verse nine, we saw that both Jew and Greek are under sin. Both Jew and Greek are under sin. So nobody can boast here that both groups are under sin, that both are deserving God's wrath. So you might ask the question now then, what does it mean to be under sin? Paul Martin Lord Jones says this, we're either under sin or under grace. It's either two things. You can't be in the middle. You can be under, under, under sin or under grace. A lot of times we see people want to be in the middle. They want to be in the middle at times. They want to enjoy their sins, but tap into grace when they need it. I see this often at funerals. At funerals, everybody want to tap into grace. In funerals, everybody go to heaven for the most part. On Facebook, we have our rest in peace, right? All those things right there are put out there for what? To tap into under grace. Paul lets us know that you can't be under both. For those that love their sin and continue in sin, they're not under grace. They have pushed grace away. But for those who hate their sins and are fighting their sins and they might struggle daily and they're looking for Christ and his righteousness, they're under grace. So those that are under grace are sinners that are dependent on Christ imputed righteousness. So before Paul gets in here, and you, I hope you guys never forget this. When he starts here in verse 10, when he starts in verse 10, he first starts off with describing as it is written. He points the bike off from verse 9, under sin. Now he describes what under sin is. But the first thing he lays out, though, before he starts describing sin, he describes under sin. He didn't have a foundational point that everything that we're going to learn from verses 10 through 18 is means by the people that are under sin. Again, the Bible. The word Old Testament is a Latin word. It's Old Testament. The New Testament is a Latin word, New Testament. Testa is the word that actually means in actual Latin. Only thing the word means is covenant. So the whole Old Testament Bible is the Old Covenant. The whole New Testament Bible is the New Covenant. All throughout the Old Covenant, the Old Testament, the people of Israel was shown that how God was so gracious to them, but they continued to sin against him. All throughout the Old Testament started with Adam and Eve. God gave them the perfect place to be in was the Garden of Eden. They was in Eden in the garden. With God, they had everything in the garden. 
Again, I say the fruit on the on the tree was a watermelon. Right? That was the fruit. It was really good. And a little salt in there too, and the pepper. And for them, they had God in the garden was better than the fruit. God was better than that. But for them, they gave in to sin and corruption came into this world. From Adam, out of one man's sin. We see it all the way through with Noah, Abraham, David. All the way throughout the Old Testament, it's full of sin because sin came into the world. And this is the Old Testament let us know they was given a law, they were given God, and they still sin. The whole Old Testament full of sin. But the New Testament comes in, it comes in with grace. That someone came in, he lived a life different from everybody else in the Old Testament. He was a lot different from you, Shatera. He was perfect. He was a lot different from you, Greg. He was perfect, and his name is Jesus. Jesus was on the same law in the Old Testament. He was tempted like Adam and Eve in the Old Testament. He was tempted like David in the Old Testament. But Jesus, when he was tempted, he didn't give in to sin. He trusted in his father and became righteous. Amen. And when he died on the cross, he died on the cross not for his sins, but the sins of his people. Yeah, who is his people? For those that are sitting out here and myself that are believers. You were his people. He took your sins and placed them on himself. And what had happened with him? He became sin. The one that who knew no sin became sin, that in him we can become the righteousness of God. Did I get that right? Oh, yeah. That we can become the righteousness of God. But the first thing he talks about here is that it's sin. It's sin. And Paul is going to get in now in our text right here. So we understand what under grace means. But we can't get grace until we understand what sin is. We can't understand grace until we understand sin. Because we're not going to trash the grace. We're going to trample on grace. We're going to trample upon grace. we got to understand what sin is. we also got to understand who is in sin. And then what Paul does in verses 10 through 18. How's he going to do this? Joe Beacon says this. Paul quotes from Psalms 5, 10, 140, even in Isaiah and Psalm 36, describing man deadly corruption in every area of life, including the speech, tongues, actions, and perspectives. So verses 10 through 18 is verses dealing with what does it mean to be under sin? Paul jumps in in verses 10 through 12, which is quotes from Psalm 14, 3, 1, 3, as it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. When they say it has no one hit, no one has shot a basketball in the goal, what does that mean? No one has shot the ball in the goal, right? No one in this room. If we had a basketball goal sitting right here on the wall, and we get everybody in the room to basketball, and nobody made a shot, what does that mean? That means everybody might have tried, but no one has really made, nobody has made that shot, and they go. So when it says here in the scriptures, no one is righteous, no, not one. It says that no one is righteous. Jew or Greek. Black or white, Asian, Latina, whatever your ethnicity is, everybody fit in there, no one. No one is righteous. Some of y'all are saying, hey, come on, Pastor, you're judging us now. Pastor, you're judging. I came to church to hear the word, but you're judging me now. It's not me. The Bible says it right here. It says that everybody in this room right now, Everybody in this room, it says that no one is righteous. Well, I did help somebody yesterday, right? <laughs> they didn't help anybody. I'm righteous and they're not. That's not what it says here. It says that no one is righteous. And what it mean by this? This righteous gets to this word as dealing with judgment status. 
It's saying that we all in this room stand guilty. So we all stood before the judge, apart from Christ and what he's done. For all of us in this room, the judge say, come forward, Jordan. Come forward, Denise. Come forward, Ja'Kayla. Come forward, Jacob. The judge say, come forward. And the judge looked and say, right here, this is all that I have that I've seen you done, did. And the judge said, Jordan, you stand guilty of this charge, this charge, this charge. Jacob, you stand guilty for this charge, this charge, and this charge. That's what it's saying here, no one is righteous, that God has charges on us. That all of us have sinned that we all stand guilty. All the way back from Adam and Eve. So if we all stand guilty, how can we boast? Well, I only stole one piece of candy my whole life. I only stole one piece of candy. Greg actually robbed somebody and shot them for some money. So why does Greg stand guilty and I stand guilty with Greg? Like, we shouldn't be together here. His sin is worse than mine. That's not what it says here. It says that no one is righteous, that all of us in this room, one small little sin, small little sin, that we all stand guilty before God. Everybody with me now? Has I said enough now? All right. We all have sinned. We all stand guilty before God. Okay? Amen. Verse 11. It even goes on to say, no one understands. No one understands the things of God. Everybody was dead in their sins. They enjoyed their sin. They enjoyed wanting up on everybody. Huh. Even the guard, as she met with the serpent. I think they were shooting dice over there talking for a minute too, for real. So as Adam and Eve was talking, I mean, Eve and the serpent were talking, the serpent kind of threw at her like, hey, man, God holding back. You can be as God. What was that type of language? It was one up. Eve had the chance to one-up God, that Eve had the chance to be God or to be over God. So Eve said, hey, I'm going to take advantage of this. Eve said, what? I want to eat upon the tree and I can be as God. All throughout the scripture, that's what happened. People trying to one-up God. They want to be better than God. And not only trying to be better than God, people want to be better than people beside them. I look better than this person. I can do this better than this person. People want to taste the place of God. No one understands the things of God because everybody wants to be God. We all have done this. We all have grew in pride. And it also said no one seeks for God. Some of y'all said when I walked down the aisle, I sought after God. The scripture said no one seeks after God. No one. No one. Thank you, brother. No one seeks after God. Family, we have chosen the things in this world. When we sin, that's our own flesh. We have done it. So as soon as one say, I sought after God, the Bible said no one sees after God. So what does this make sense then? That if no one sees after God, then how are we believers? I would say let's pause for a second and I mean, let, let's not go to grace yet. Because we easily want to go to grace, don't we? We want to go straight to grace. But Paul wants them to sit in and let them know those that this is what it means to be under sin. And he continues saying this. He said, all have turned aside. Turn aside. If you turn aside, it means you didn't stay on the path. God created Adam and Eve to stay on the path to see his glory. But Adam and Eve, they turn off the path. They turn to self-glory. And we have inherited that. Everyone to turn aside. They didn't stay on the path of righteousness, but they chose the path of unrighteousness. It says right here together, they have become worthless. The one that didn't stay on path, what? They became worthless. They have a memory of, you guys remember the Tower of Babel? When they built all these things, they're trying to get to God. They did all those things together. And all what they did was worthless. 
Because God, what? He confused them. The language and dispersed them around. So family, even for us, as we're plotting, huh? I know how to wait. I know a way to be able to get over on this person. I know a way to be able to hit a lick. I know a way to go to work and let somebody sign my time sheet for me and I can get away with it. I know a way to do these things. Like all those things we're plotting and doing together is not of Christ. God is saying right here, it was worthless. And for those that are not seeking out the God, for those that are understanding, like I said, everyone, all their deeds are worthless. Even like a young man, you know, he he sees Miss Miss Betsy got a grocery cart. Miss Betsy, she's 99 years old, and she's pushing that little buggy across the street. And all of a sudden, little, little Johnny come alongside. Let me help you out today. And little Johnny is an atheist. He don't like God. He hates God. But Johnny wants to do a nice thing to help the old lady across the street. The scripture says right here that no one does good. So even though Johnny was an atheist, it looked good on the outside, but deep down in the core, Johnny did that for self-glory. Anything that's done not of Jesus is of sin. Amen. Even though it might look good on the outside, you hear so many times, people actually doing this. I did this for the poor, man. I went back to the hood, man. I dropped some stacks in the hood, man. I did everything. I fed all the folks in the hood. And doing all those things, it looked really good what they did. Man, he fed the people, got free food. I went over and got me a plate. But the end of the day, though, is that with all the things they've done, if it's not of Jesus and it doesn't seek after Jesus, all they did look good on the outside, but it's so corrupt on the inside. It tells us in Psalm, I think Psalm 73. It's a beautiful psalm. I always talk about that. I mentioned it to, I think, KJ before. In Psalm 73, I mentioned. Um, I mentioned a couple of y'all before. It seemed like, you know, the wicked. I talked to Lena about this before, too. The wicked. It seemed like the wicked are the ones that are, man, they got a new charger. Man, they late to work. They got promoted. Man, they, they do... I'm doing that work for them. They got promoted over me. <laughs> I know more than them. And they get this. They got all these things better than me. I got all this student loan debt. And for them, they didn't even graduate. And they still got debt. And actually, the, the, I mean, the, the Biden paid all their debt off. I mean, it seemed like all these things happened for the folks. They ain't came to church all year. But they keep winning. <laughs> they don't come to church. And they get more blessings than me. That's what the psalmist did there. But the psalmist concluded in this, and God revealed to the psalmist that the reason why they get all these blessings is because God gave them the desires of their hearts so they can die in them. God gave them what they wanted. And so for them, their sin is that, well, I've done this good thing to help the poor. God gave them all the accolades, the pats on the back, and for them to go right to hell. That's scary, isn't it? That's scary to be able to get all these things. You think they're blessings, but it's actually judgments. And that's what happened here, though, is that someone thinks they do us good. Well, I'm doing good and feel like, well, I'm winning the game. I'm getting this in life. So I actually, God is blessing me. So everything is going good. Family, that not, might not be the case. The scariest thing is God letting us stay in our sins. Amen. Letting us get in the things that we desire of our heart. You know that wasn't right what you did. And you got it. It's okay, I'm going to continue doing it. But guess what? God is giving you the desires of your heart. Then he says right here, then he said, not even one. David goes even further to describe the filthiness of mankind. That not even one person on this earth, no one on this earth, not, not, not somebody in Australia, Africa, no one on this earth. Everybody has sin. You might be starting to con con um, conclude that, man, this Bible is so critical. There ain't no way that we can make it to heaven if all of us in this room have sin. If everybody's unrighteous in this room, nobody's sin everybody's sin, 
How in the world can we make it to heaven? Well, it's a good question, isn't it? How the possible we can make it to heaven? Look at verse 13. I'm going to come back and answer the question in just a moment. Their throats in an open, is an open grave. Someone said a throat is an open grave is that they are waiting to devour someone with their words. This is waiting. I'm going to catch them. I'm waiting on them to slip and I'm going to say something crazy to them. Y'all know anybody like that just waiting to just to pick at somebody? Waiting to hurt somebody with their words. That's what it talks about here. They, they use their tongues to deceive. They're always trying to get over on somebody. Then he quotes Psalm 143. The venom of ass is under their lips. The lips are ready to hurt anyone that comes in their path. This person now compares the venomous snake that is ready to bite it at any moment. I think they said a venomous snake kill over 100,000 people a year. These Jews and, Jews and Gentiles are sinners are compared to a venomous snake. They are quick to devour those with their tongue. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. 15 and 17, we see that their feet are swift to shed blood. They're waiting to hurt somebody. Just lurking to do it. Their paths are ruined in misery. In the way of peace, they are not known. Now the summons get to now how they use their feet is for wickedness as well. They are quick to move, them, move their feet, but it hurt those around them. They enjoy devastation around them. This reminds me of folks that want to just argue with everybody. How do anybody just find something they want to argue with everything? The love stand and tour with people. And the last thing he starts out with this ends with this. As he named all these things that no one is righteous and all these other things he mentioned, the mouth is full of curses and bitterness. He ends off in verse 18 with this. Look at verse 18. Look at your Bible verse 18. There is no fear of God before their eyes. He summarized with this. There is no fear. This summarizes verses 9 through 17 or 10 through 17. What he's getting at is that these people don't fear God. Beaky says this, man lacks the beginning of wisdom and from this failure to reverence God and majesty and flows all disorder of human society. That's where all the sin comes from. When Adam and Eve didn't fear God, everything else they're given over to. That's what it is. The reason why we okay to do pornography and watch pornography, because we don't fear God. The, the, the reason why we give in to, to be angry, to be hostile, to hurt those around us, because we don't fear God. The root of all is this, we don't reverence and fear the Lord. And fam, we can easily hear all these things that I said that don't fear the Lord. We said, man, these Jews and Gentiles have messed up. Family, this word is talking about us. We can't point fingers of your co-workers. I know y'all thinking about co-workers right now. I know y'all thinking about people around you, but bring it in. Think about yourself. This chest is about you in the room. Don't look around. Don't look around. Think about your own heart. It's talking about you. When Paul watched the things, right? You know, he said he's talking about you, right? Y'all remember that, don't y'all? Smiley. But family, this is talking about you in this room. Let that sit for a moment. This is who the scripture describe us to be. On your resume for a job, this will be on your resume. You're not righteous. This will be on your resume. You are devouring those around you with your tongue. This will be us. Point number three, as we end here this evening. You might feel like, oh, Creston, man, I didn't come here to hear this. I, I didn't come here to hear about all of us who are not righteous that we all sin against God. <laughs> I didn't come to hear that. Point three, the law show that all are under sin. 
So Paul is saying is that now, okay, I mentioned all of these things about sin. And these things are actually systematic. You know, they, they, he took all these verses of Psalms, Isaiah, and everywhere, and put them all together to let them know totally deprived that everybody has sinned, everybody's corrupt. Paul knows that somebody in the room is still trying to think like, hey, I'm not that bad still. You got that one, two people in the room still after hearing all these things, huh? <laughs> yeah, he said all these things, but I'm going to leave that to Rihanna and KJ and Miss Kathy. They're the ones like this. Paul said, uh-uh, you finna get this work today. Look at verse 19. He said, now we know that whatever the law says is speaks to those who are under the law. <laughs> Paul said, okay, you this happened here, homie. You don't understand what I'm saying. Let me bring it home even more now. Now we know that whatever the law says is speaks to those who are under the law. Because Richard, he mentioned the law here, that whoever's under the law, they are bound by the law. So whoever's under the law, they are bound by the law. And who is bound by the law? Everybody. So if that's first from 10 to 18 didn't get you, now 19 to 20 finna get you. Paul is saying that now that everybody's bound by the law. Vicky says this right here. The law speaks of to all. To the Gentiles. Say, ha, talking about y'all. No, the law speaks to all. Whether or not men have the scriptures in Romans chapter 2, verses 14 and 15, within nature, they are law within themselves, within Gentiles. But also the Jews has the law. And the law is condemns all. This should stop every mouth now and would do so at judgment. That now the Jews had a law and the Gentiles had a law and everyone had the law and everybody has broke the law. But this is for the Gentile and Jew. That everyone is under the law of nature and some that are under the law of nature and also the scriptures. What's the reason for this of being under the law? For Paul to let them see that all of y'all have sinned against God. And this explains it in verse 19. So that every mouth may be stopped. Some of the mouths in the church, the Jewish mouths in the church, or just the Romans, or the Gentile mouth, it said, no, every mouth they can be stopped. And the whole world, everybody say whole world. Whole world. Everybody sleep. Say whole world. Whole world. All right, y'all up then. God wants to stop every boastful word of self-glory that everybody in the world have sinned against God. The law is let, lets us know that the whole world is held accountable to God. Just how a worker is accountable to their manager. If somebody worker call you with Demaya, Demaya's a top manager over there, a top, she might not be a manager, she's executive though. And so if Demaya is over somebody in this room at work and she asks you to do something at work, you don't do it, Demaya can write you up. Or Jacqueline can write you up the job. Why can they do that? Because they're in a place to do such. They have authority in a certain position to do such. Because they are in that position to do such. Well, family, God owns the world. He is our chief manager, chief supervisor. He is the chief one. And he has given us also job descriptions as well, just like Demaya and Jacayla have given their worker job descriptions. And so we have job description God has given to us to keep his commandment, right? To love him. And we have what? Disobeyed him. And we deserve whatever God says for those who break the law. And what was it? His wrath. We can't say, well, that's not fair. That's not right. Well, he owns it. We can't tell Jacayla and Demaya, this is not right. They are in the place. To be able to say, this is what we require of you here. In the same way, God does the same thing for us. And family, we all have not listened to our chief manager, our chief supervisor. For by the worst of the law, no one, human, no human beings, 
will be justified in his sight. The law shows that nobody can be right before God. The law shows that if everybody stood before God, we stood before the, the judge. You can try to get a public defender. You can try to get your own lawyer to help you out and petition before. But God said, no, you stand guilty before him. So what is the law for? The law let us know that we cannot be justified in of ourselves. The law shows us that we need somebody outside of us to save us. Which brings us to the end of this message. I mentioned all the sin that everybody's seen. It's only one person that ever walked this earth that didn't sin, Joaquin. And his name is Jesus. Joaquin, Jesus was perfect. Jesus was good. When the scripture said no one is righteous, family, Jesus was the only one righteous. But in the crazy thing about it, Jesus was the perfect one. He was the perfect one to walk this earth. Correll. He was righteous, Miss Kathy. Jesus was so good in all his ways, but he got put to death. He got punished for something that he didn't do. You remember I said the lawbreakers deserve God's wrath? Why did Jesus get God's wrath by the Father? Jesus did never sin. Why did he get punished? That's the question that we need to ask. Mr. Denise, we need to think about that question. Why did Jesus get punished if he's perfect and we are the one that are described from 10 through 20? Family, if Jesus wasn't punished, if Jesus wasn't punished, family, we die in our sins. We die guilty before God. So we turn the story around. As we sit there before the judge, and the judge say, come forth, Denise. I have these charges on you right now. I have these charges on you. And Denise, you look around and look and say, yes, these charges are mine. Then all of a sudden, somebody raised their hand in the courtroom and they, let, and, they, and they yell out and said, I take those charges for you. Those charges belong to me. And the judge looked down at Denise and said, Denise, well done. You are righteous. You are set free. But you that raise your hand, come up. And you are the one to get the wrath of God. Family, that was Jesus. Jesus was punished in our place and family, for those in Christ, Corell and Shatera and Miss Alina, you get freedom. That's what it says here. So Paul is encouraging them to be able to look back at this. You deserve hell. You deserve God's wrath. But Jesus took your place. Look to Jesus. Believe in Jesus. And as you believe in Jesus, your sins are not on you anymore. They're on Christ. Your sins in the future. Your sins that are present. All your sins. I know some of y'all in the room looking back. I just made the, the bad decision last night, yesterday, last month. I've done so many bad things. Family, that's what the cross is for, for bad people. They're looking for a savior. And as we end here again, last time, this last time, y'all, last time. For those in this room that have heard this message, you heard what Jesus have done, and you don't believe in him, Family, there's not another Savior coming. It's only one Savior that's already came. And when he comes back, he's going to take the righteous with himself and dwell with them forevermore. For those that are still in their sins and enjoying their self-righteousness, the Lord's going to come back and he's going to judge you forevermore. So family, I would say, friends that are not believing in Jesus, today is the day of salvation. Turn to Jesus today. Pray to Jesus when it said no one seeks after Jesus or no one seeks after him, the only way we can seek after him is the Spirit come to us and turn our hearts that was dead in sin to a heart of life and of flesh. Only until when God gives us a new heart and we turn from our sin, only way that can happen if God brings us up from death to life. So I say for you that's in this room that are, that are not a believer, pray that the Lord bring you from death to life. And ask the Lord if the Lord is so kind to do such, run to him. Don't turn back. 
run to him. But for believers in the church, Paul is telling us all these things. He didn't want to believe the Roman churches let them know they're all sinners. But he was getting somewhere. He wanted to let them know that you all were sinners, but now you're saved by grace. Go love one another. Family, Christ Redeemer Church should turn the city upside down on how we love each other. It starts right now with us. We can't ask the world to love each other. We're not doing it. And family, we should be the first one to love one another because what Christ has done, he took our sins. So family, let us not be bitter towards each other. But let us build one another up. Be kind to one another. Encourage one another. Do we get into it over time? Yes, we get into it. Jerry goes for the, the, the sorry for the diners. I'll go for the, the great patriots. And KJ, do the, I mean, for the, for the Packers that just lost. I mean, we can have disagreements. And the Vikings first time winning in 50 years. But, but, but still, we can have disagreements. But we still are one family in Christ. We're one family in Christ. Let us build one another up. Let us love one another. Let dig dig deep into love in each other. Let us not surface love them out uh, here at church. They're at church. I, I love you. What's up, bro? What's up, sister? But let's dig deep to be in each other's lives. Now, you got some folks in the church that are nosy now. You got some nosy. You got to watch out for them. But still, they mean well. Just don't tell them all your business. But let's tell us. But we need to love one another and build one another up, okay? Okay? All right. Application. We should be eager to live out our lives in thankfulness to Christ for what he has done for us. We should be eager to live this out, what he's done for us on the cross. Let that show in our lives. He's so kind. One of the kindest person, Ja'Kayla. Oh, Ja'Kayla's so kind. So you part of y'all marriage. I would look up and everything, Ja'Kayla would, would, would just, just pop up and say, hey, you can have this. Or you can have this. I have done that with them, with them crops, but I, I guess I can't keep my feet out of leaning crops. But still, I have seen some kind people in this church, family. Let all of us be like that. And I know all of y'all are kind, but continue being kind to one another, building one another up. Let's not be kind because we want something for somebody. But be kind because of what Christ has done for us. Last thing. Maybe we don't look at the Ten Commandments as a list of legalistic laws, but the ten laws that show us sin and encourage us to live a life in godliness. The Ten Commandments points us to Jesus. It tells us our sin, but it points us to the Savior. But as believers, the Ten Commandments is what we cherish. We want to love one another. We don't want to commit adultery. We don't want to steal. We don't want to kill. We don't want to hurt. We don't want to use the Lord's name in vain. As believers, we want to keep the things of God. Amen? Amen. Joy, blinked at me three times. Let me pray for y'all, y'all. Time, time to end. Our Father God.